<clears throat> wow. Thanks, Digital Dustin. That was really nice of you. I didn't know that was coming. So, wonderful. Is it hot in here today? Okay, see, I don't normally get, I'm not nervous. I do this all the time, but it is really hot in here. So if you do see a reflection, a gleam, I apologize. I'll wipe that off now. <laughs> all right, well, let's dig in. So this is week three on the series of generosity, and I am, I'm humbled to come after Pastor Dustin, who's spoken the last two weeks on generosity. And when he asked me to fill in this week here quite a while ago, I thought, that's awesome. That's easy. I, I, love, I love generosity. Show of hands here. Who loves to be generous? Come on. Come on. Okay. Show of hands who doesn't like to be generous. Perfect. I just want to make sure. So, yeah, it's, it seems to be a really easy topic, and so I, I, I put the matter to prayer, and uh, I'll be honest with you. This one kind of kicked my butt. Can I say that? I'm sorry. Heine, is that okay? Kids in the room, I apologize. Um, I have never heard the voice of God audibly that I know of, but I spent a really rough, my wife can attest to this, sleepless night where I'd try to sleep and he would wake me up and I woke up in the morning and had put a page of notes into my phone. God laid this message on my heart heavily. And so I wanted to let you guys know that this is, this is truly from the heart and I truly believe this is, is divinely inspired uh, and uh, I apologize up front if I step on toes. I love you guys, but I really feel like this is important. So you guys ready? Okay, <clears throat> so generosity. When thinking about generosity, I, I look back as, uh, as a man who's been married to his first wife for, what are we at, almost 24 years now? Yeah, so almost. We got married when we were three, so, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, you know, it was an arranged thing. And uh, I think about the uh, opportunities I've had to be generous with my bride, who I, she is my best friend. I love and adore her. She didn't know I was going to do this. She's not heard this message yet, so this might turn her red. Yep, there she is. She is red. I'm sorry. I remember one of the first acts of generosity that I was uh, able to participate in. It was uh, our first anniversary, and uh, the uh, Y2K had happened and come and gone, and the computers hadn't crashed, and our, our anniversary is February 13th. And so I, I scrimped and saved and scrimped and saved because... Well, my wife and I, we grew up of pretty meager means, and we you know, didn't have a lot. That's okay. Like uh, Dustin said, I was a pastor's kid. Uh, ministry is not one of those things you get into for money, by the way, if anyone's just curious. My wife had never had a pair of diamond earrings, and man, I wanted to buy diamond earrings. I wanted to buy her the, the, the really big ones with... With all the vegetables, the carrots, I, I wanted to. I wanted to get her the, the really, really big ones. But I, I you know, I, I worked for a living. I was a kid, early twenties, and so I scrimped and I saved. And then I still didn't have enough, so I used my credit card and I went and I bought her her, her earrings. And uh, you know, the embarrassing thing is, is it was so such a big deal back then. And now I think I spend that at Costco when we go. <laughs> it's okay. <clears throat> it was it was the the heart of the gift. And uh, she wore these with pride. Oh, I remember the tears and the joy. Uh, I remember the, the uh, man points. I'm just going to tell you, guys, if you haven't bought your wife a pair of diamond earrings, it, was, it worked for me. Generosity. That's what we're talking about today. And so she, for, for a time, she wore them quite often. And I remember coming home one day, and she was in tears. And what's going on? She said, have you seen my earrings? I'm like, I don't know. Let me check. Nope, not in my ears, because I don't wear earrings. Well, where are they? I don't know. She'd scoured the house. 
She's got a little bit of a jewelry drawer in the, uh, in the dresser. And uh, we tore that out and dumped it upside down and then went to the heater vents and the pee traps in the sinks. And, and uh, it, was, it was quite the ordeal. And uh, she was distraught and I was without answers. And one of my wife's better character qualities is that she hates clutter. Anybody here have a wife that hates clutter? Anybody here a wife that hates clutter? <laughs> and, and so flat surfaces are sacred. Kitchen counters, eh. The, 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 the banister, nah, we don't do that. We try not to. And I remember that the box that the earrings came in was gone. Well, it had been on the dresser, but it was gone. I'm like, well, where's the box? She's like, oh, I threw that out a while ago. Like, how long ago? Like a week ago. Like, oh, well, if they were in there, they're lost. And then I heard the garbage truck rumbling outside. Today's trash day. Is there any chance? And, and so like a rabid raccoon, I went out to my dumpster, and it literally looked like there was like a, a raccoon bar mitzvah had happened the night before. I'm throwing stuff out, and I tell you, the, the smell was, it was atrocious. It really, really was. And I got down to the literal bottom of the barrel, and the very last bag contained the box, and inside the box was her earrings. Man, whew. <laughs> what a relief. An act of generosity almost thrown away. I mean, come on, lady, really? <laughs> see, the challenge that I, I see in this story, and how I'm going to parallel it with generosity, is that she didn't mean to do that. I mean, if that was a ploy to get bigger earrings, it did not work. <laughs> Let's just lay that out there. She was distracted. She was actually distracted in well doing. While keeping the flat surfaces clean, she inadvertently threw out a gift. A gift that was not only intended for her, but it was intended for others. I find it interesting to think about jewelry that, is it really for the wearer? I don't think it is. It's for those around who can see. And through distraction, she negated almost generosity. So, anybody here Ever thrown anyway, thrown away anything, uh, discarded something that you shouldn't have? Yeah? yeah, I've heard stories of lottery tickets, uh, car keys, uh, all sorts of things that just inadvertently got discarded and not intentionally. I don't know of anybody here that intentionally throws money away, I except for people that buy Android phones. <laughs> Sorry, Digital Dustin. <laughs> So the distractions of life led to unintentional discarding of a gift. So how does God feel about something, discarding something that's valuable? Think about that for a second. You know, we, we have resources. We have our time, our, our talent, and, and, and our, our money. And how does God feel about us throwing that away? Let's, let's go to the gospel of Matthew, if you would. I, I love when I have the opportunity to preach that I actually do preach from uh, biblical text because uh, church, we're in a church, and that would be important. So the gospel of Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. Now, it starts with again, the word again. That means that this is in context. This is in the middle somewhere, and Jesus is having to repeat himself in yet another parable. So if you want to go back on your own time and dig into the context here. He's talking about what will the kingdom of heaven look like? 
again. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold. Now let me pause there for a second. Everybody here that's been in church for a minute or two has likely heard this parable, and I grew up with it being the parable of the talents. You guys know what a talent is? You guys know what a talent is worth? I haven't actually had to research it. So a, a talent is actually a unit of measure from ancient Greece, and one talent is equivalent to approximately 20 years of wages at minimum wage. And, uh, you know, if I preach this message in a different state, it would be different. But since we're in Washington, I think it's 15 now. We're getting really close. So $15 an hour times uh, working 50 hours a week at eight hours a day is approximately $600,000, one talent, 20 years. That means two talents is 1.2 million. And if my math is correct, which it probably isn't, five talents is $3 million. Now, the dollar amount here doesn't matter because Jesus in the moment was merely trying to make a point with a story. That's what a parable is. He was saying, it was a lot. So let's continue here. To one he gave five bags of gold, and so the version I'm reading from today says bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. That matters. We all have different levels of ability and I think that Christ called this out for a reason. So put that in your back pocket. Then the man went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went on at once and put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. So also the man with two bags of gold gained two more. And the man who had received the one bag went off. He dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. I'm not much of an investor, but I don't think that was the best thing to do. After a long time, the master of these servants returned and he settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, so I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of the many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Even though he doubled his money, it was the master's happiness, the desire that mattered. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold, and I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And lastly, the man who had received one bag of gold came and he said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was, I was afraid. And I went out, I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now, I mentioned earlier that this message was, uh, it was poignant. Uh, I, I was going to bring a mirror, but I found it to be too short, so I left it at home. <laughs> But I was going to bring a mirror here and let you guys know. This message is for me. You guys happen to be along for the ride. And if this applies, I pray that you take it and put it deeply where it belongs. If it doesn't apply, then eh, it gave you something to listen to. You know, could have been worse. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. 
that hurts. He was scared. He hit it in the ground. He may have been distracted by the other details, but he was called wicked and lazy. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money at least on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Church, I've got to be honest with you. This scares me to death. It, it puts a fire in my belly that says, how does this apply because I don't want to be where there's weeping, gnashing of teeth, and darkness. And what those descriptors are describing is an absence of the presence of God. I don't want that. I don't think anybody here wants that as well. You see, the master had entrusted his finances as like a business, and he had commanded his servants to continue his work. So... As I read this and as it drills down into my heart and my soul, I ask myself the question, what work have we been commanded to continue as followers of Christ? In fact, let me pause right here. I think it's important that we do this. Anybody here not a follower of Christ? I'll wait. <clears throat> also, I need a drink. Anybody here not a follower of Christ? Wonderful. Because it's so important that we are that I would stop the service and we would pray right now. So what work have we been commanded to do to continue? So the first one that was brought to my mind was go and make the gospel of Matthew, starting in chapter 28, verse 18. This was, this was Jesus' final command. This was the last thing he said before he engaged his rocket shoes and ascended. Give or take on the timeline. Just follow me. Then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you guys know why he said that? Let me read that again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means that what he's about to say cannot be undone, is of immeasurable worth. And what he's saying is, listen to me, this is what I want you to hear. Therefore... Why is that therefore, therefore? What's the therefore, therefore? I don't know. But there's a therefore, therefore. Go and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't say go and make disciples in foreign nations. It says all nations. Correct me if I'm wrong. Anybody have a different version here? All nations, including the one in which we reside. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Is there any ambiguity in that command? I don't think so. And I'll be really honest with you guys. Well, because the alternative would be weird if I stood up here and lied. 
I don't make disciples. Do you? This hit home. This is a command of God Almighty through his disciples to me. Now, there is, there is a, a, a subsection of culture that believes that this command was given only to the disciples. Uh, let me make that clear. To go and to make a disciple would have negated that. It wasn't just for them. Think about that for a second. You guys go and make disciples, but after that, it's kind of done. That, that's not what he said. It was an ongoing command. It has no end until his return. So then what has he commanded us to do? We have to, of course, continue his work. Let's go to Mark chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 28. And this is Jesus actually quoting the Shema, which is a, a prayer uh, found in multiple places. Mostly uh, we refer to Deuteronomy, I believe, chapter 6. One of the teachers of the law came and heard him debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, hey, yo, Jesus. <laughs> I, I hear it that way. We weren't really there, but it just, hey, Jesus, of all the commands, eh, which one's the greatest? Notice that my Fonzie impression did pretty well in the front row. <clears throat> I appreciate the Golden Girls up here. I really, really do. Which was the greatest command? Jesus said this. The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel. Hear in Hebrew, Shema. It says, listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. So as I unpack this for myself, like I said, I'm preaching to myself today. You guys are along for the ride. Uh, do I love the Lord, my God? Yeah, I, I do, to the best of my ability. Do I love my neighbor? Can we change that to tolerate? The reality is, do I love my neighbors? I, I do. Do I like them? Maybe not all of them. But it's okay to love people and not have to like them, especially when they're up at 1030 making noise. If any of you do that, you should stop. I'm just going to tell you. If you're that neighbor, don't do that. <laughs> so I love God and I, and I love people, but... I don't go and make disciples. Hmm. One more. If I love God, I'm good, right? Isn't that, isn't that the heart of Christianity? Love God? Love people? I feel a little bit misled here because John chapter, excuse me, verse, chapter 14, verse 15 says, if you love me, then keep my commands. If you love me, then keep my commands. So what we do is we have this circle of thought. If you love me, keep my commands. The greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbors as yourself. And then go to all nations and make disciples and teach them all that I have taught you. It's a circle. You can't have one without the other. Because if I don't make disciples, and that really is where my struggle is right now, I, I can't complete the circle. I can't say, 
that I love you. That's my challenge. No shows of hands because that would be awkward and embarrassing. Anybody here feel the same way? God, I do love you. God, I really, really do. And I, maybe I, I love my neighbors and... But go? Yeah, see, that's... That's tough. I've got close personal friends that are missionaries and that's the call on their life. I don't feel compelled to leave our United States <laughs> right now. <clears throat> don't want to travel overseas because, well, just because. You see, I have received a gift as my wife received a gift all those years ago. I have received the gift of salvation. I have something of great worth, immeasurable worth. The promise of eternity with my Savior. I'm supposed to share that. I'm supposed to share that gift. Specifically supposed to go and share that gift and make disciples and replicate. And I don't. And as I, as I pondered and unpacked this and prayed over this, why? Why don't I? Why do we struggle to be generous with this gift of salvation that we've been given? Think about that for a second. We've spent the last two weeks, Dustin has done a great job unpacking generosity. And we, we use our resources, like I said, our time. Many of you here volunteer in, in the various ministries that we have here in the church or, or our outreach programs in the community, which, by the way, if you don't, I would encourage you to do this. And resources, I, many of you, I would hope, give as, as we've been compelled to do in various avenues, whether in the box on the back wall for you newcomers here. We don't do the plate thing, which I grew up with, which is still weird, and that's okay. <coughs> I don't give the gospel. I don't share the gift of salvation. I struggle with that. I'm challenged with that. Are we afraid? As the, the third servant who received the one bag of gold or the one talent, who was afraid of his master, do I, do I fear God? Do I just bury it with the busyness of life? Or, follow me here, have I been distracted? Like I said, this is not going to be an easy message to preach. It's probably going to be even harder to receive, but I really feel led that this is something that needs to be said. So where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself in this equation? I, I know for, for many, including myself, I, I feel like, ah, I've got so many problems. I'm, you know, I, I'm not perfect. By the way, pastors aren't perfect. People that stand on stage are not perfect. We're just regular people. I, I, how can I make a disciple? I'll never be perfect, so why try? Let me just remind you guys, the disciples. Many of you, if you've grown up in church, you're familiar with the text, you know the disciples weren't perfect, right? Rag, tag, bunch, a motley crew, as you will. Jesus didn't go and pick the finest, highly educated. <laughs> he found the ruffians of the day. I'll give you a couple here. So Peter, Peter had an issue. 
on this rock I will build my church. Peter, he denied Jesus uh, not once, not twice, but thrice. Anybody here ever deny your Lord and Savior? I have. Like I said, this is confession time. How about James and John, the sons of Zebedee, their father, or known as the sons of thunder? Uh, these guys, I, man, I, I kind of would like to have met them. They seem like they'd be really crazy interesting. But they came from money. They had an issue with pride and selfishness and superiority. They had sat next to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, when we get to the heaven, uh, me on one side and the brother on the other, huh? How about that? Again, I don't know if they actually said it that way. <clears throat> My Hebrew's a little rough. It's probably Aramaic, by the way. But anyways, I digress. Andrew, Peter's brother, he lacked faith in the event of the feeding of the 5,000, the 10,000, the five fishes and two loaves. Or was it two loaves and five fishes? I think it was five loaves and two fishes. Whatever it was, it was the makings of a fish sandwich. Just needed some tartar sauce. He had walked with Jesus for for quite some time and seen a ridiculous pile of miracles. He had seen things that I can only imagine that I read about, and yet here he stands and he's like, oh, this is not going to work, Jesus. There's no way. Anybody here ever struggle with faith? Oh, man. Everybody here struggles with faith. I know of nobody who doesn't. Matthew or Levi, he was a tax collector. He was a traitor to his own people. I hope I haven't done that before, but I have the propensity to. Uh, then there was Thomas. He had a little bit of doubt and pessimism. Judas Iscariot, I mean, you know, he just betrayed God for like 30 bucks. Or maybe it was more than that. Anybody here betray your Lord and Savior? for a little bit of money. You say no. Again, I'm here to challenge you. And the remaining, Bartholomew, James, Jude, and Philip, Simon, those boys, you know what they did when Jesus was taken captive in the garden? They ran and hid. I'm no better. So that tells me if he told them to go to all nations, make disciples, replicate, teach them to follow what I've commanded you to do. If he told these guys, I think I can do it. If he told that ragtag bunch to do something that also is for you, I want to encourage you today. I'm not here to beat you guys up. I'm here to lift you guys up. You can do this. We can do this. <clears throat> so go and make disciples. Love God. If you love me, we've covered that. We've covered how not great we are, and yet we have so much potential. Another question is, is who have you surrounded yourself with? The author and motivational speaker Jim Rohn says that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Have you guys ever thought of that? I think it's true. Think of that for a second. <clears throat> uh, when, it, when it comes to uh, where you live, how you live, even your socioeconomic status, for the most part, um, I, 
don't rub elbows with any millionaires, although maybe I do and I don't know. I don't uh, nestle up to somebody in a cardboard box in the woods behind the mall. Okay, two extremes. I'm kind of hanging around people that are kind of like me. In fact, this morning, you're kind of hanging around people in this room here that are kind of like you. Am I wrong? I, I don't think so. I, I could be. Let's go one step deeper. Who here has a tribe? Yeah, a tribe. It Don't make it weird. I'm not getting all racial up here, right? Stop it. A tribe. It's, it's, a, it's a terminology that says it's the people that you do life with. The folks that come over on Thursday night, the guys you'll have over for the game, the people that would come to your aid when there was really something wrong and your tribe. I think it's important that we all have one. However, again, I feel convicted because a tribe, what it does is it, it turns our focus inward. Let's go to Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12. Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house, <clears throat> which, by the way, is just weird. Why did he do that? It seems to play out well in the text, but I still am kind of baffled. So he's at this party, and Jesus said to his host, he said, hey, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, which he was at, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of righteousness. Notice that Christ yet again points toward the kingdom of heaven. Not the present, but what will be. So as we read this, is he saying, don't invite your friends over? I mean, it kind of says that. I don't believe so, though. We have, to, we have to read deeper into his heart, deeper into the context of this. It's easy to have your friends over. It's easy to associate. It's easy to have a tribe. It's easy to do life with those that are somewhat like you, your five closest. But we fail to reach out. We fail to make disciples. We fail to take that step and move into the community or further. Why? I'll tell you why for me. Is it okay? You guys okay with this, by the way? I think I'm preaching way better than your A. Manny. I could be wrong. <clears throat> I think we've failed to reach out because we feel relational fulfillment. We feel relational fulfillment. I, relational fulfillment means I, I've got a group. I'm good. I don't, I don't really want to reach out and get uncomfortable and go and make disciples, even though that's a command. And if I love the Lord, I'll do what he commands. And <laughs> we're back to that circle again. No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Plenty of people over him. No. And Jesus in this moment is calling me out. I don't know if he's calling you out, but he's calling me out. 
Are we content? Are we complacent? Do you guys know the difference? Contentment says, God, I am humbly thankful for what you have given me. God, I cannot express the joy for what you have provided in the situation I'm in and life. Uh, but if there's anything else you need, I would be more than willing to go the extra mile. That's contentment. And godliness with contentment is great gain. I've seen that somewhere. Complacency. If you want to break down complacency into one word, it's laziness. And I think I remember mere minutes ago where the lazy servant was cast into the darkness. Complacency says, yeah, I, I don't need to do anything else. I'm good. Complacency says, I have no more room. Contentment says, I am full, but Lord, can I give more? Let me be a conduit, a conduit of salvation. I've been given salvation, but do I give salvation? Do I, uh, do I transfer that gift? I'm not ultimately the giver. I am a conduit. So what have you surrounded yourself with? Another area in, I don't know, another area that we struggle in, I struggle in with generosity is I'm distracted by the fact that, like I said earlier, I feel relationally fulfilled, but also I feel fulfilled in other avenues. How about entertainment? Anybody here like entertainment? I do. Like I said, I'll stand up here and I'll be the guy to raise my hand. Yeah. We all have different things that we like. And I'm okay pouring myself into that. I'm okay making that a priority. I'm okay being generous with me so that I can be entertained. But I think it's a distraction. And so I'm here to challenge you guys today. And this, like I said, this is a pokey one. If, if entertainment is something that has taken a, a place of, of uh, <clears throat> great esteem in your life, I'm going to challenge you to rethink your entertainment. Now, many of you guys know that I'm not a sports guy. I used to be. Some of, some of you guys don't know that. I used to have season tickets to the Mariners. <clears throat> when I, uh, my dad, being a pastor, also was a, a King County Sheriff's deputy for a long, long time because, well, when you're a pastor, you kind of have to have a job to also make money. <laughs> There's that. <clears throat> and uh, he worked security at the Kingdom. You guys remember the Kingdom before we blew it up because it wasn't good enough, which really broke my heart. And uh, I went to every home game ever for a long time, and I was there three or four hours early. I got to run around the Kingdom, this kid, this teenager, all by myself, which today freaks me out thinking about that with my kids. But... I used to be into sports a lot. I could tell you all the stats. And I found it to become something that weighed heavy. And I was investing my mind and my heart and my soul into something that truly didn't matter. If that's you, again, I'm not here to be mean. I'm here to challenge you. If you can tell me this player, that player, his stat, this stat, where he's been, where he's going, what he should do, and yet you're not reaching this, the lost, I'm going to challenge you on this. That's why I'm here today. It might be my last time up here, by the way. <clears throat> I'm going to challenge you on that. 
How about obligations? We're distracted again by obligations. This is distracted and discarded generosity. Unnecessary versus necessary. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke. Starting in chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Could have been Martha Stewart. She is that old, but probably not. <clears throat> Was that too much? I, can you rewind and just, let's do that again? And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Let me read that again for a fact. Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, we've already had a discussion about having friends over, throwing a little party, right? And she was making the little tiny sandwiches, I'm sure. Somebody's got to do that. The serving that Martha was doing, was it wrong? No. Was she sinning by getting the fondue ready? No. She was distracted. She went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. And then the Lord answered her, using the script from the Brady Bunch. Martha, 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 because I'm sure that's where it came from. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You see, when Jesus is in the house, there is one thing, there is one thing that matters. It is sitting at his feet and hanging off of every word that he says. Is Jesus in the house today? Is Jesus in your house? Are you hanging off of his words? Because if we're hanging off of his words, I remind you that he said, if you love me, do what I've commanded. You can't hang off of just some of the words. And again, it has convicted me to the core. And I pray that if there's anyone here in this house today that is in need of this message, I pray that it has gone forth and impacted you. We've got to not be distracted by life. We've got to not be distracted by generosity. You see, for most of us, our time is absorbed by so much that we feel that really all we can do is give monetarily. Now, if your toes aren't stepped on now, lift them because it's about to get real. We're distracted by generosity because we have the option, whoop, we have the option to put money in the box. It's good. It's a good thing. Please let me preface this with, I am not in any way, shape, or form telling you to not give, but we can be distracted by it. You see, in generosity, generosity itself makes us feel good. There is actually a neurochemical response that occurs in the hypothalamus. It's an endorphin release that when you are generous, you get a little, little squirt. Woohoo! How do I know? Because I have. 
You feel good. There's nothing wrong with that, but it can be a distraction because the challenge herein lies is we're so busy, we're so distracted that we can say, I've given, I'm good. I've given, I'm good. And I'll be the first guy to raise his hand and say that, yeah, I I don't have time for that. I don't have the bandwidth in my life to open my heart, my home, my family to the vulnerability of reaching the lost. How dare I? I am convicted. So how do we stay on task? Let me give you guys three actionable steps. The first one is to think. Think like Jesus. Put on the mind of Christ. As, as I read the scriptures, which I've, I've read them at least once or a hundred times, I can't remember. Jesus was others-focused. At what point in time was Jesus selfish with his time, talent, or resources? I can't find it. I would encourage you guys to do the same. Be others focused. I'd like to invite the worship team back up here. The second one is act like Jesus. Be kingdom minded in all that you do. Instead of being distracted with generosity, be intentional with your time, your talents, and your resources. Intentionality speaks to this is why I'm doing what I'm doing not for an endorphin release, not to feel good, not to fulfill obligation. I'm doing this because I am others-minded and I'm kingdom-minded. Stay on mission. I know this has been a challenging message today, guys. Don't give up. If the disciples could do this, we can do this. We look in Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not become weary in, in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. And remember Jesus' conversation with the party thrower. He said that you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Why we do what we do, why we generously share the message of hope, the message of salvation, is not to be repaid in this current day and age, not in this life. Need I remind you that this is just a flesh suit. When you go to space, you wear a space suit, right? When you live on earth, you wear the flesh suit. I heard that somewhere. When this is done, you take it off. That's okay. What we do is not for today. What we do is not for the moment. What we do is not for the flesh. It is for something greater than you can even comprehend. But I ask you to have faith and to not give up. Open your hearts. Open your homes. Open yourselves to the possibility that God can and will use you if you allow him to go and make disciples. Generously share this gift and do so without distraction. Don't allow your day, 
Don't allow the mundane activities in life, the cleaning off of the dresser. <laughs> Don't allow that to hide the gift you've been given. Stand with me. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as we wrap up this service today, Lord, I thank you once again for the opportunity to be in your house with like-minded believers. God, you've made your word, you've made your call, you've made your command clear and evident to me today. And I pray, Lord God, that I have done it justice and passed it forward to the ears and minds and hearts and souls of those who are here today. Lord, I ask that they would not return void, but it would go forth and produce a harvest a thousandfold over. God, you're amazing. And I thank you for the opportunity to reset and try again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.